Sing to the Lord a new song, for he has done marvelous things. With his right hand and his holy arm, he has won for himself the victory. The Lord has made known his victory. His righteousness has he openly shown in the sight of the nations. He remembers his mercy and faithfulness to the house of Israel, and all the ends of the earth have seen the victory of our God. Shout with joy to the Lord, all you lands. Lift up your voice, rejoice, and sing. Lord, would you come and speak to our hearts in Christ's name. Amen. Uh, welcome to St. Bart's on this, uh, well, with this taste of Canadian summer. This is really what it's like back home in the summer. It is just glorious. Can you imagine? No, uh, it's cold. Um, uh, recently, we were uh, part of our Alpha course, which ended on Tuesday. We went uh, joined it with All Saints and had a Holy Spirit retreat, and it was slightly painful for me because afterwards, a number of the uh, congregation who were present came to me and said, you know, like, like what we just heard in 2 Thessalonians, came to me and said, please, whatever you do, don't ever do that again. I said, what was that? Tell a joke. So, um, you know, I've been admonished. I don't have a joke for you this morning, but I do have a story, which is... Um, I was reminded, my sister's here, Anne, welcome Anne, Anne uh, has come all the way to Germany just for today, uh, so it's great to have you here, but um, I, we were kind of like the lumberjack von Trapps, not really, but uh, my, we were raised up in music, and uh, Anne is a concert pianist, um, and my parents were looking for something for me to do, and so they looked around the church, and they, f saw, they said, David, you'd be good at the organ, and I thought, well... All right, you know, what do you do when you're 15 and you just kind of go with it? And so I learned how to train to be an organist, which is great. I would sneak into the cathedral while tourists were going around. And when no one was watching or seeing me, I would bust out Phantom of the Opera, freak them out. Or I'd start, you know, with the Imperial Death March. Always fun. And maybe for that reason, I was never asked by the choir master to play on a Sunday. So um, you'll see why my career as an organist didn't last very long, because on the, well, I think it was like All Saints here, a big Sunday where there was going to be many in attendance and the choir master would uh, get the choir ready to sing and then he'd get their, give them their note, then he'd run back to the organ and he'd jump onto the bench and, and play. Well, that Saturday I was practicing and um, that's why you can't trust organists, I'm just going to tell you, but I'm not an organist anymore, so I'm trustworthy. Um, the janitor had left out the pledge just by the organ, and it was speaking to me. And so I took the pledge, and I thought, I'm gonna show this choir master, and I took the rag, and I took the pledge, and I buffed that bench so well, I could see my reflection. I could even see the appearance of acne forming on my forehead, so I, and then I thought, we'll see what happens tomorrow. So Sunday morning, 10.30, 200 people are present, big service, the choir's about to start, they have their note, the, or, the choir master runs back, jumps to land on the organ bench, and he just kept going. <laughs> Everyone knew it was me, because I was the only one laughing. <laughs> and I've never worked as an organist since. So, um, all that to say is we're going to talk about worship this morning, uh, particularly with Psalm 98 that you, we, had, we read in part together. And uh, it's an incredible psalm. It's not really a psalm for this season. It's a, been a, a closely identified with Christmas uh, because in 1719, a pastor 
wrote a hymn based on this psalm because he wanted his church to be able to sing of God's truth in season and out of season. And so he sat down and he penned Joy to the World. And so the, the carol, Joy to the World, comes from Psalm 98. And so let's turn to it, because music's powerful, isn't it? And um, one of the, the distinctions uh, and the distinctives of the Christian faith is that it's a singing faith. How many of us have had songs stuck in our head? I want to tell you what's stuck in my head right now for fear of you catching it, and I wouldn't inflict that on anyone. But we see here that this Psalm 98 um, really reflects and inspired Isaac Watts to write Joy to the World. And it may seem odd to talk about this now uh, because we're in between seasons, right? We've had Halloween, we've had midterms. As a, as a foreigner in your midst, it does feel like election time is a season um, full of all kinds of all the emotions. And uh, Advent hasn't started, neither has Christmas. But this psalm brings us truth that we need to remember in season and out of season. Four years ago, I arrived home and um, with the three boys, Toby was one, the other boys were whatever age they were four years ago, and, um, and arrived to a sudden season of uh, emergency. We had to rush Rachel to the hospital. There was an emergency surgery afterwards, and it was incredible to live through. I was all over the place emotionally, spiritually, and... Um, and so we went trick-or-treating with friends with the Halls who are here and um, who are also British, and, and we loaded the kids up in the van, and I was so out of sorts that I just needed to be centered. And I didn't know how to find it until Sirius XM, which is my jam, had just launched on October 31st, bless them, the Christmas radio channels, and I cranked up the Christmas carols. And we went to Lakewood and did blitzed it, and the kids got tons of candy. And there was something to me in that moment with all that we've been through, with all the uncertainty of what would come of singing joy to the world. The king has come. All of a sudden, all of the immediate stuff that we'd gone through found its place, didn't diminish it. It was still there. It was still, we're working through it. But... It was in the context of what God has done for us. And that's why we sing. And so think of the songs we've sung this morning. You know, uh, Waymaker. Well, you, you might, some of us are in a place where we really desperately need God to make a way. Maybe it's work, maybe it's your finances, maybe it's relationships, something else. Uh, maybe it's our, you know, Golly, if we think beyond our community into the countries, the nations of the world, there are nations right now that need God to make a way for them. And I don't know how he's going to do that. I mean, the Lord's been working on the Middle East for 2,000 years. You know, how's, I just, you know, but it doesn't take away from the truth of what God has done. And so I don't have the answer, but I can sing. We sang, uh, here is love, vast as the ocean. Oh, you know, I, I could have finished the service then. You know, how rich the words of what we've sung. Do I feel the vastness of God's love? No. But I can sing it. 
I can sing it. I can hold on to it. And it can ground and center us. And so Psalm 98, if you open up your bulletins and look with me, I'm going to go a little bit further than what we have printed. But the first three verses, the first stanza, as it were, speaks and calls us to sing, invites us to sing. For God has worked salvation for his people. It's inviting us to sing aloud together to celebrate God's faithfulness to his promises. Now, the term salvation appears in all three of those verses in different ways. He's done marvelous things. With his right hand and his holy arm, he has won for himself the victory. The Lord has made, his, made known his victory. His righteousness has, has he openly shown in the sight of the nations. And this term salvation, what does it refer to? Well, to the time of the writing, it was referring very specifically to the Exodus. It spoke very specifically of a God who they knew as creator, who summoned and marshaled all of his creative power to lead, to speak to the people, having heard his people. All right, so God, how to sell, he hears, he speaks, he guided Moses and Aaron, and then he defeated Pharaoh with creative power. He parted the Red Sea, and he led them to a mountain for them to discover that they were his children, and in worship, they received a new identity. And the world at that time saw it. For us today, what does that look like? Well, it includes that, but it's, it's a fuller picture. It's a fuller picture of what Jesus has done. And what has he done? He is, he is, as we sang a moment ago, here is love vest as the ocean, on the mount of crucifixion, dying for us. He's made it possible for us to be forgiven, for us to be redeemed, for reconciliation to happen, not just between individuals, but between communities, between ethnicities, between rich and poor, What is it that unites the church? What is it that makes it so that we can grow not in uniformity? Lord, prevent you all from looking like me. Because it's our differences that make us stronger. It's our different experiences that enable us to have a fuller picture of love. And the chief way that we are united is in worship. Because as we sing together, as we pray together, as we meet him together at his table, we are held together and we are tethered together. We are rooted together, not in our own individual stories, but we become part of a story that began before us. We, are, we find our place in God's story. And it's the thing, isn't it? that as we meet in worship, it's different than as we meet as a committee or a, as, a, as a club because we're not just meeting together. We're celebrating a meal. And the beauty of the table is that if your house is anything like, my, like mine, two brothers can argue. Will they ever stop? I don't, I don't know. Um, but just because they argue and they disagree, 
doesn't mean they lose their place at the table. In fact, because they're my children, they will always have a place at my table. You are his children. And you are meeting together in worship with the reality that you will always have a place at his table. And because we worship together, because of what he's done, because we're invited together to meet him and meet with each other around a meal, it shows us that the worship does involve singing and music, but it's so much more. It's about stories being rewritten. It's about footnotes. I mean, we tell, Chris and I, no surprise, talk about footnotes every other week because he had to finish his footnotes. But have you ever read the footnotes of a research paper? They tell other stories. And it's the footnotes that make the main story palpable. It makes you realize that the person writing writes with authority. And so these marvelous things, these deeds that God has put on display for the world to see is really about coming. He has come to his people. And he has blessed them. And he has invited them into his family. Now, based on your experience, you might have other things that go around. We talk about salvation, what God has done. Um, I was... 16, and I took my father's truck without permission. It's called theft. Uh, my father was the crown prosecutor, the district attorney, my mother, a federal court judge. So you understand now that this was slightly of a different magnitude. And for some reason, I found myself in hot pursuit of uh, Derek, um, who went on to have a spectacular career as a drug dealer and is in prison somewhere. Um, I was chasing him in my dad's truck uh, on a gravel road around the Charlotte International Airport. I had never driven on a gravel road, and I don't think he was in his right mind. So I remember just he had taken a bag of mine, and I was going to catch him. I hadn't thought this through, as most don't when they're in a car chase. They really haven't thought it through. And all of a sudden, there was a hairpin turn. Somehow, the drug dealer navigated it flawlessly. I, however, careened through the fence um, and skidded to a halt, stopped not by the brakes, because in the madness I forgot to hit the brakes, but I had hit the chain link fence with razor wire with such gusto that it was the fence that stopped the truck in the middle of the runway as Air Canada Flight 301 was coming into land. Yeah. And uh, the guy with me says, we got to run. I said, dude, we're already caught. There's no running from this. We just got to take the heat. And he said, you'll be fine. I'm done. Um, anyway, the emergency vehicles come. They collect me. They take me to the airport office. And I have one phone call. So I call home hoping to get my dad. I get my mom, uh, who was in court and had to adjourn the court to come and take the call. So it's going from bad to worse. And uh, she's like, um, no, no, and, and it was like, I'm coming to get you. I was like, oh, please, Lord, anything but this. So uh, she arrives at the airport uh, with my two sisters. Anne was there. My sisters, I could see them as they come from the car to the airport are already in tears foreshadowing the fate that was to arrive. 
And uh, they, they sh my mom shows up and she says, don't say a word, get in the car, we're going home. And on the way home, she says, the police have been called for insurance purposes. Um, we've had to report the vehicle stolen and, um, and there's, there's this, I can't believe you've done this. A plane almost landed on you. How could you have done this? I was like, I, I don't know what I was thinking. Anyway, and I just sat in my room waiting and my father comes home. And um, he comes in, he says, it turns out the manager of the airport is your old Cub Scout leader, Jack Santer. It's all done. No police, nothing. It's all been fixed. And um, he says, that's it. And um, he's, I started to explain. He says, you don't have to explain. I get it. Don't worry. It's all been taken care of. In that moment, uh, my mother had a few other things to say, which she would. I would say the same things. But in that moment, um, I was so marked by the fact that my father didn't rub my face in it. He just dealt with it and then spoke to me as a son. And he prepared me for when I met my father in heaven. Because of that encounter, when I blow it, and I don't blow it off, when I do, it's pretty spectacular. I mean, it's airports, it's, you know, it's organ, uh, organists, you know, it's, it's that sense of what I learned that day, that when God acts, to save, when he comes in to redeem the mess that we've made because of our own sin or when bad stuff happens, he comes in to redeem, but he doesn't rub our face in it. He doesn't say, you're a bad person, you need me. He comes alongside and says, let's clean this up. And once it's done, it's done. That is what was put on display for the nations to see. In the Exodus, yes but primarily as well in the resurrection, crucifixion and resurrection of Jesus. Our faces have not been rubbed in the mud by Jesus because of why he had to go to the cross. The story that we're a part of, the reason why we worship, is because he did it so that we would have a place at the table. Not just at the kiddie table, though I think sometimes it's more fun at the kids' table. But places of honor, where if someone else were to sit in your seat, the father would say, I'm sorry, that place is reserved for another. Your place is here. We have a place of honor, a place of respect, because of what he's done for us, because of the way that he has worked his story into our lives. God has remembered his steadfast love and faithfulness. That's one of the chief anthems of this psalm in verse 3. He's done great deeds for his people, and this is the, the thing is that the benefit isn't just for his people. When Isaac Watts published Joy to the World, one churches had a massive problem with one of the verses. And it's tragic, but from time and again, we get this. And the thing is, is that in his third verse, where the cheerful repetition of, for as the curse is found, 
churches found it difficult to celebrate that the benefits of what Christ has done is for all people. And the benefits of his championing over sin, the world, and the devil would actually cause all of the world to flourish. From time to time, the church looks inward and tries to protect and keep the world at bay. When actually what we sing and what we celebrate is that this is for all. Isn't that fascinating? And so let all of nature join the song. Let all the earth sing loudly and joyfully. Christ's blessings extend victoriously over the realm of sin so that everywhere where his kingdom advances, everything flourishes. Everything flourishes. So that as the psalmist, whoever wrote the psalm, writes, even the material world will worship. The entire creation can rejoice at the prospect of God's rule because he administers justice in a just way. And as we come to him and receive his wisdom and love, everything flourishes. Joy to the world. It's a a truth we need to hear in season and out of season. Think of this week, crazy week. The biggest Bitcoin, whatever, crumbles. Uh, Twitter and Elon Musk, I mean, what's he doing? How, How quickly can someone burn through $44 billion? Well, we're watching it. Right? Facebook lays off 11,000 people because the founder wants a metaverse that we don't think anyone else wants. Right? Um, um, Inflation suddenly begins to come under control. Maybe. Who knows? We'll see. The stock market has an incredible rebound. The best Taylor Swift announces 52 extra dates to her tour. I mean, these are unexpected, unprecedented times. The midterm elections didn't go as anyone predicted. Right? We were ready for all kinds of things. And here we are. And whatever's going on in your life today, you're invited to bring it to him. To bring it to him at the table as you receive Holy Communion. Because it matters to him. And you're invited to come and to bring your stuff to him. And as you bring it to him, to recenter it all on the fact that you matter. That he has done it. That a day is quickly coming when heaven and earth will sing, when weeping and sorrow will end, and when the wisdom and love of Jesus will pour out in fullness in a kingdom rule that will lead to the flourishing of everything. They didn't know I was going to say this, but a bunch of the worship team met yesterday, and uh, we met, and we just talked, asked one question. It took, it was incredible, the responses. 
Um, I asked one question to those who were able to make it about worship. What does worship mean to you? I wrote it down so I wouldn't be imprecise. Um, What people kept saying over and over again is that the worship tethers us. It enables us to be rooted when our mind's all over the place. When we're hurting, worship keeps us connected with God. Someone said there's something about the calm steadiness of the liturgy that makes it all make sense. Worship enables me to rebuild my relationship with Jesus as I heal. Isn't that great? It keeps me tethered to our history and to the church throughout the world and throughout time. We had a little side note to the Marvel Universe about time and space-time continuum, but never mind. Um, And so we come to this thing where we're called to celebrate God's faithfulness. Because in his faithfulness, he hasn't forgotten us. Though we can't see him working, and though if we're honest, if I were God, I would have done things differently. But I'm not, so I'm invited into a place of trust. You, this morning, are invited into a place of trust. Yes, I mean, trust me, but primarily to trust the living God who has invited you into his story, which includes your story, but has far wider reaches, greater crescendos. And it's, it's an incredible story, one of joy and one where love and peace and wisdom reign. Joy to the world. It's truth we need to hear in season and out of season. Let me pray. Lord, thank you for this day. Thank you for this song. We ask even now that you would fill us with a sense of your love. Lord, we do ask for your grace to abound. We ask you to help us discover the depths of the wonder of your love. Lord, did you help us to behold you that we might become like you? We ask all of this in Jesus' name. Amen.